Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie. Low cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> How are you? How are you, Reg? You're gloating this morning, I'd say. And uh, there. Any chance you go to a well, United? None whatsoever. Uh, no, 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 I'm only gloating because a lot of scouters would be very, very unhappy, that's all. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I mean, uh, oh, it was uh, a kind of a shock. Um, it uh, is. My, my missus is a Liverpool supporter along with the yeah. middle fella and uh, she was in bits last night on the couch. I can't believe you're going to leave and what's going on? Like, we're not going to be the same without him, so... Uh, yeah. I know, it is a big shock. It's a big shock to the Premiership as well as obviously his club and all the supporters. He's been a wonderful manager. Mm. You know, he, he came to Liverpool when they were, what were they, eight or tenth in the league at that, that year. And he got them to win their first trophy, well, first Premiership since for 30 years. And then, of course, the dramatic uh, Championship, the uh, Champions League as well. It's fantastic, you know, that win over Barcelona from 3-0 down. You know, he's brought so many great memories to the club, a lot of trophies, and he's been amazing manager, amazing man, and amazing for the Premier League, you know. Uh, and a good person, it seems, as well. I think that's, yeah. that's why people talk to him so much. He just seems to be genuinely a decent person, you know. You see, he, he he's done a lot of stuff here with Irish fans, and you see the kind of way he interacts yeah. with the, the fans in Liverpool, and he made, like an announcement and said that he wouldn't join any other Premiership club, which you'd kind of feel that he would stand by, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just his energy, he's saying. He's just tired. It must be It must be absolutely draining doing that job. So you love his honesty yeah, about that as well. I do, yeah. I've always liked his honesty, you know, his energy on the, on the pitch and uh, his love, you know, was shown true for the club. There's no doubt about that. He totally embraced the club and the supporters definitely embraced him. He brought something to the Premiership. He brought something to the Liverpool Football Club, you know, and he will be missed. It's now, it's just the the timing of it, you know. They just yeah. got to the Carabao Cup final. They're in contention for the league. Is that? Do you find that strange? I mean, is that off? I find it very strange. Team? Yeah. Why? Why couldn't wait until the end of the season? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, will it derail Liverpool a little bit, or will it inspire them even more? That that question and the proof will be in the pudding. But yeah, maybe. There's something a bit more sinister. I hope his health is okay, and there's nothing sort of more sinister in that respect. Uh, so there, I don't, I don't really know, and probably nobody knows, yeah. or maybe it will come out before the end of the season. But it just seems, yeah, real sort of ball from the blue. Because he kind of said in the interview, yeah, in the interview, I kind of watched. He said that. Um, I had to make the decision to leave because I was never going to be fired, you know. So that means that yeah. he's, you know, the, the board and the owners and everything else of the club are happy with him. The money men are, are happy with him. So, it, it, you know, mm. that to say something like that um, yeah. and apparently they knew they knew since November as well. So mm. maybe he was afraid it was going to be leaked out and, and he wanted to announce it himself on his own terms. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, but it seems like, I, I don't know, normally when people announce that, they knew they were going to get sacked or they're going to get yes, sacked at the exactly. end of the season. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they make their own decision and they make it on their own terms and they announce things on their own terms. Yeah, yeah But this yeah. seems a little bit rushed for some reason and particularly, mm-hmm. as I said, they're well in contention in the league. They've just yeah. got a final of the Carabao. You know, and they're doing really well. They're playing really good football this year. The, the confidence is back and they've got some really good results and you know, the top of the league. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's very, very strange. But, yeah, he's been a great manager. There's no doubt about that. And joking aside, you know, without everything being a United fan, I, I think he's brought uh, he's brought a lot to the Premiership, you know, between himself and Pep and, yeah, and, the rivalry, uh, the you know, the other managers that he's had to deal with and the footballs that he's had to deal with. And what he's done is he's, he's been very successful. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we mm. wish him the very best. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, as you said, a good person, good human being and a good manager. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, good luck to him. Okay, moving on. I was watching a bit of social media, Twitter and stuff last night. You were in the Crucible last night for the 900 series. Uh, it seems to be a we fantastic were, yeah. turnout. Um, we, 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 uh, we did this uh, show with Steve Davis, Dennis Taylor, John Parrott, John Virgo and myself. And uh, it was like a little bit of snooker. And then just Q&A with, a, with a, a full capacity crowd, Res. It was over mm. 900 there. The reception we got was just quite amazing. I mean, it was quite, you know, overwhelming, really, in a way. You know, for for all of us, we were all, like, a little... We were all excited to be there. And then uh, leaving it at the end, yeah, it was like, uh, oh, the old goosebumps and the old... I can see the your emotional the uh, video of, of the end in particular is brilliant, yeah. you know, and seeing all, all the gang back together you know the band is back mm. together Ken and uh, <laughs> it was great to see you all and the smiles and the faces and um, and the re- the reaction from people because I suppose like everything you know it'd be the same myself yeah. about sports you kind of think uh, you get forgotten or whatever but a, a certain generation yeah. will always remember you and that, to see those people in the Crucible last night and a packed house as you say and the Crucible being the home of snooker all of those yeah. legends together in a room um, yeah. it, it must have felt great Oh, it was fantastic, you know, because we all got great memories from there. You know, from mm. the first time I, I turned up there as a 14-year-old, I won a competition to be there. And I saw Steve Davis play for the first time. And seven years later, when I qualified for the Crucible, I'm sitting down and I'm sitting next to Steve Davis playing him in the Crucible. Hey, it's time for Rugby Now. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by left-wing podcaster and Irish independent journalist, Will Slattery. Good morning, Will. How are you? Good, thanks, Reggie. How are you? Good, thanks, yeah. Um, an interesting week of rugby, there's no doubt about it, last weekend. Uh, before I get into the games and the um, uh, results and where they're going from there, just news overnight there of Angus Curtis uh, having to retire from Ulster after succession of concussions. Uh, disappointing and sad news for him. Yeah, always sad to see a player have to step away for that reason. I remember seeing Angus Curtis play probably around 2018, I was going to say, on the Ireland 20s team. And he looked like a really good prospect at the time. Unfortunately, he never really got that run the Ulster team between those issues he had, injuries, and just the Ulster midfield usually having a number of you know high-quality options there. He never really got to kick on a huge amount. Always sad to see he chose the kind of spectre of concussion always looming over the professional game and we wish him all the best in retirement. Yeah, absolutely the best of luck indeed. Okay, uh, moving on as these things often do. Um, Champions Cup, it was an interesting uh, 
round of games last weekend. There were some things that went different directions, but ultimately it means that um, as we look at it now, Leinster are at home to Leicester on the 6th of April in their uh, Saturday night game. Uh, that looks like it's going to be a great game, to be fair. Uh, you'd obviously fancy Leinster to get the job done, but um, a, a, a reuniting of the old uh, foes. God, you're the first person I've ever described that as a, as a great fixture in the offing. Like, I know familiarity can breed contempt, but I think it's breeding a bit of boredom between uh, Leinster and Leicester <laughs> fans. They've obviously played three times already in the last the two seasons. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be playing again in a couple of weeks. And after Leinster put Leicester away with 17 points in the end in Welford Road, I, I wouldn't expect anything other than a comprehensive Leinster victory. I think Leo Cullen will have to get his kind of salesman hat on and really be pushing supporters to buy tickets. I think a lot of people will probably look at the potential fixture the following week against potentially La Rochelle and maybe hold off uh, for that game. Obviously, it's a dangerous game in case Leinster get upset. But from what I saw in the game a couple of, last weekend, I don't expect Leicester to give Leicester any trouble. If Leicester are full strength, I think they'll win well. And it is disappointing. I think there's been five repeat fixtures for the knockout stages, and some of that is unavoidable just the way that thing is set up. Like Leicester were 15 seeds, Leicester were two seeds, so it wasn't a draw per se. It was just kind of how teams were matched up in the seedings. Obviously, Munster are playing Northampton again, and there's a couple of other rematches. In some ways, it can be interesting. Like, I actually am intrigued to see Munster play Northampton again after how that game went. But the Leinster Leicester one is definitely a fixture I could have done without, to be honest. Yeah, maybe I'm looking at it with uh, rose tinted glasses, thinking back of my day and the amount of ding dong battles we had against Leicester yeah. and the team that they were back then. But you're right, they're not the, the powerhouse that they used to be. So, um, yeah, but still, you know, these these are tricky little ones. You need to get the job done, but I'm sure Leinster will in that case. Uh, okay, moving on. So, uh, as you said, there, you know, there are two results that we could probably um, predict. Uh, we've got the Six Nations coming up next week, which is the real thing that everybody's looking forward to. And I think. The appetite has been whetted a little bit uh, maybe by this Netflix documentary um, on the Six Nations, which I've started watching, looked at the first three episodes and I've been drawn into it, I must admit. I'm enjoying it uh, very much, even though um, it ha- has its critics. There's no question it has its critics about it. It certainly does. Yeah, um, but I, I'm still intrigued to see the modern game. It's been a while since I was in the dressing room to see how it's progressed to get a little bit and get a little bit more insight into these players. Yeah, it's a pity we're not getting much insight into the Irish players. Barry Porter, by all accounts, despite them winning the Grand Slam, they barely feature as the, the, the tournament progresses and as the documentary progresses. They obviously took a stance, much like the England team, that they didn't want to really engage a huge amount with that. I'm not sure if that was down to coaches wanting to keep control, players not being that enthusiastic or the sum of money that was put forward I think each union only got 100,000 euro which oh, in the grand scheme of things they might have thought is that really worth our while to have yeah. the disruption or kind of peel back the curtain and kind of expose any of our secrets like Scotland and Italy no surprise kind of the two of the lowest kind of teams on the totem pole ended up giving the most access and by all accounts are the most compelling like seeing the Italian coaches interact with their team uh, their players is quite entertaining. Gregor Townsend and Finn Russell, their relationship, getting a little insight into that is interesting. And to be fair, Andrew Porter did open up and give an insight into his life and, you know, kind of his mental health uh, struggles. But 
I think across the board, it's, it's a bit more style than substance. And I always thought a flaw was focusing on the Six Nations 12 months ago. For, for people listening to this and rugby supporters, they'll be well-versed in the nuances of that tournament. So I think it's probably more geared towards you know, people who don't know anything about rugby or a very superficial knowledge of rugby where you're kind of learning some of these things for the first time. Whereas for, you know, people like ourselves or, or the listeners here, they probably remember things really well, so it might not shed that much light. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think that is the idea to try and uh, bring it to a new audience. We'll see how that progresses in time. Okay, uh, next week, huge game for us. There's no question about it. Um, coincidentally, talking about Netflix, a lot of the stars that, are featured in the French thing won't even be in this uh, game next week with between injury and uh, leaving for sevens duty etc etc so it's still going to be a pretty daunting task I think for Ireland to go to Marseille and try and get a win very much so you couldn't ask for a more difficult fixture I actually think it's going to be more difficult than if it was in the Stade of France I was reading Ronan O'Garan the Irish examiner yesterday and he said Marseille the atmosphere will blow Stade de France out of the water he said there's just a craziness to the support level down there that you might not get in kind of like you know the Parisian setting that we're traditionally used to it's a massive game for Ireland obviously it's, you're turning the page on the World Cup officially now getting back on the pitch in France in a similar situation obviously losing in that quarter final I'm just so fascinated to see the Jack Crowley era how that begins because if you look at the starting team that played against the All Blacks 13 of them will be back in situ you're just going to be missing Johnny Sexton and Mac Hansen so there's a lot of quality there so on paper, France are missing more players than Ireland. I know they're at home advantage, but like Ireland should be very well placed to deliver a big performance. I'm just not sure how I feel vibes-wise going into this tournament. I don't think some of the key players have been as good since they've come back to club duty. I haven't been blown away by Lance's performance on the pole since the World Cup. Munster have obviously had loads of injuries and are struggling you know, for results and you know, Ulster or Ulster, they're not going to be contributing a huge amount of players. So I'm very intrigued to see what Andy Farland's coaches can do in the kind of two-week build-up to the tournament in terms of getting them plugged back into the Ireland mindset, the Ireland confidence, the Ireland atmosphere and how that manifests itself on Friday. Do you think it's a tournament decider this game? Because the other teams are kind of in disarray as well. Maybe Scotland can throw a bit of a, a spanner in the works for some teams but uh, th- there's no question these are the two best teams in it so win this, win the tournament. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if the winner of this didn't go on and win the tournament. Like, I suppose, you know, France do have to travel to Murrayfield the following week, which I know Scotland, like, they flatter to deceive all the time. Like, actually, one of the funny things in that Netflix documentary was Gregor Townsend again mm. telling his players how good they are, how they can beat anyone. And I'm like, that's not, that's not a good psychology to take for a team that consistently flops and seems to believe their hype. When their coach is feeding them these lines and kind of stroking their ego when they haven't actually achieved anything, I was like, I'm not surprised that they consistently, you know, fall when they're meant to hopefully take a big scalp um, but yeah th- th- there is kind of some booby traps like Ireland do have to go to Twickenham like I know England are very much still kind of trying to find themselves under Steve Bortwick but that's not going to be an easy game either so there is still kind of pitfalls whoever wins it but I do expect the winner to come from that first game and it's almost a pity it's the opening game in some ways like it does set things up beautifully to start off but if it was the tournament decider at 8 o'clock on the 16th of March it would really 
it would really kind of wrap it up a notch, I think. Okay, uh, last question to you. Um, do you see any sort of bolters making that Irish team that maybe people uh, might say, oh, there's a surprise selection, wasn't expecting that one. I'm thinking particularly in the second row, maybe a certain Leinster uh, player who's been getting man-of-the-match performances. Yeah, party. I think that's who I was going to go to as well. Joe McCarthy's yeah. performance. Sorry, yeah, I, I, I could have cracked myself when I said no one's really been playing that well since the World Cup. I meant more kind of the starting players because Joe McCarthy is taking another big step forward. He's just so physical, so abrasive. He mixed it really well against La Rochelle in that rain kind of soak game a couple of months ago. Thought he was really good against Leicester at the weekend as well. I think it's his time to start this game he matches up well against the French second rows they've called back in Paul Willems uh, after the injury to Miafu who would have been a massive handful as well so it's, only, it's good for Ireland that he's not available uh, so I think it's his time uh, I really do the only thing he needs to tidy up is he is a penalty machine at the moment he has given away two or three minimum probably per game. And they're ones that are easily avoidable. He's just trying to be a bit too kind of Richie McCall like at the breakdown. He's just trying to like lie on that ball an extra second and he's just taking too long to get out of the way and stuff like that. In the Six Nations against France, like they could be taking quick taps off that and really getting a lot of inroads into the game. So that's the only thing I look at the moment and think if he tidies that up, I think he's an Ireland starter. It'd be interesting to see if Andy Farrell goes with him though because you're tight burn. Ian Henderson, James Ryan and Joe McCarthy. That's a lot of options. It's it good to have those options and I'd be interested to see you know, which two he ends up picking. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I want him there. That's my my stance on yeah. it. He's playing the most abrasive, fantastic rugby uh, I've seen uh, of any of the players that I'm looking at at the moment. And I want him there uh, personally. I think he's fantastic with a huge future and a bit of what we need. A bit of what we need. And you know, there's been there's great servants there as well and brilliant players in the names that you listed. But as form is at the moment. I have to go with McCarthy. Okay. Uh, Will, as always, been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, I'll catch up with you again very soon. Thanks. That's Will. Slattery there of the um, Irish Independent and the Left Wing Podcast giving us all of his thoughts on the Irish uh, situation uh, for next week, which is going to be a tricky one down in France, no question about it whatsoever. Dublin Sporting Communities, funded by Comishoon the Man, with the television licence fee on Sunshine 106.8. Yeah, delighted to be back talking about the club scene uh, here. I'm delighted to be joined on the line. Uh, it's that time of the week when we chat about the local Dublin club and find out about their history and their role in the local community. So I'm delighted to be joined and to speak with Jonathan Grenell, committee member of the Calester Basketball Club, which was founded way back in 1967. And Jonathan, you're very welcome to the show. That's great. Thanks, Reggie, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is our weekly uh, tribute to all of the clubs that are doing fantastic work around the communities. And uh, as I said, Calester founded, the basketball club founded in 1967. So there's a rich history there. There is, yeah. We were originally founded by a Kerry man. So every time we have to go play uh, down in Kerry, they hold that over us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's not like a carry man to hold anything over anybody from Dublin. No. But, uh, there you go. I'm sure yeah. they, they love to remind <laughs> you of these things. But it's uh, it's grown uh, in uh, numbers and diversity over those years. Uh, now you've got over 500 playing members. That's a huge membership. Yeah, it is. It's great. We've really seen a kind of growth in the last couple of years. But the nicest thing about it probably is that we've 500 playing members and it's split down the middle: 250 girls, 250 boys. 
and tell me, uh, uh, do you um, find that the interest levels have has grown much in basketball over recent years? Yeah, definitely. We find it in schools that they they play and they, they keep it up, um, and it's definitely a good foil for uh, players playing kind of Gaelic as well. That we get a lot of players from that route as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, the the uh, crossover in sports nowadays is absolutely incredible. Um, I, I know even from a rugby point of view, hand-eye coordination. My own son plays rugby, but he also played a lot of basketball. The three of them did in school. Uh, and I, I suppose that's what I, that leads me on to my next question to you, because a lot of sports struggle to uh, get their sport into schools because of the lack of facilities. But a lot of primary schools even managed to put up a basketball uh, ring somewhere and put together a bit of that and it seems in PE that seems to be a sport that they go to a lot Yeah they do definitely it's a, a nice one because obviously it's all year round for us weather doesn't really play a, a factor in uh, whether it's going to go ahead or not Yeah, um, and I guess for, for us in schools we probably have kind of Super League teams there with professional players coming in they kind of capture imagination, get in, get into schools, kind of show, show kids dunks, three point shots, and you know they see it down on YouTube as well. Then you know, kind of catches the imagination and get them playing. Absolutely, and of course, the whole idea of these clubs and why we're highlighting them is that sense of community. I know there's plenty of family connection for yourself as well, and your wife is involved in uh, the administration side of the club as well. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct, yeah. yeah. We'd be heavily involved now. Um, I'd coach our Super League men's team, under-17 girls, and then my own two kids, t- uh, my older two, under-12 girls and under-10 boys, and then my wife is in the um, nursery, and she coaches our other two kids uh, at that, and she's also the uh, child welfare officer in the club. <laughs> the, I, I'm sure it's a busy household trying to keep everything going, no question about it. Uh, and then I suppose finally, just what what does uh, the, the club bring to the community? What feedback do you get from all the locals? Uh, well, it's it's great on the Saturday in particular then when we're, we're playing. You can see it, I see it in my own kids. Uh, you go down, you coach, you coach your, your youth teams, uh, then they turn around, they come out on a Saturday night then and you watch the games the two senior teams teams play uh, we usually play back to back on a Saturday night so it's a great atmosphere down in, in Kuntarf where we play um, and you know it, it is it is great because you see the whole family there the, the mum the dad the older kids playing the younger kids then everyone out there enjoying themselves so um, you kind of see that that flows through the whole club uh, so it's really really good a lot of families involved Absolutely, and uh, there's no doubt that's important. Well, Jonathan, it's your chance to get a bit of a plug in. I'm sure you're always looking for new members. Um, where can they contact you? Yeah, um, well, they can contact uh, our info at cholester.com email address. We uh, we start our nursery from four years old, uh, Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, uh, but we're open to any member. Uh, new beginner uh, experienced player uh, we, we usually have a team that will, will fit their uh, level so, so uh, they can contact us there that's okay absolutely wonderful Jonathan thank you very very much for taking the time to talk to us this morning and tell us all about Calester Basketball Club and we wish you all the very best for the future thanks man thanks man 
Dublin Sporting Communities, funded by Commission the Man, with the television licence fee on Sunshine 106.8. OK, it's time to turn our attention to GAA now, and I'm delighted to be joined in studio by the one and only Sean Lane. Good morning, Sean, how are you? Morning, Reg, how are you? Uh, wonderful, never better, I have to say. Um, it's... Uh, the excitement levels last week was absolutely incredible in the All-Ireland Club Finals and no more so than that point. I still don't know how he did it. I watched it back uh, ten times at this stage from Aina Burke. The winning point. What a match. An unbelievable game. A uh, lot of controversy over was it a goal, was it not a goal? Should a man been sent off or whether he shouldn't have been? But uh, the entertainment, Reggie, was, was incredible. And you talk about the last point. When you're teaching young kids, you say, look, if you're in a really tight situation you can't get chance to look at the post have a look at the one down the other end and it's going to be opposite and it'll give you some kind of idea where it is but he couldn't see either post and, and he, he stuck it over the bar but small bit of controversy over a goal for O'Loughlin Gales you'd have to feel a little bit sorry for them but I look back at it again Reggie and you know, going down the stretch the second half from, we'll say, the 35th to the 50th minute, O'Loughlin Gales, were, they were beaten 7-2 in that period of time. You know, um, Thomas's came from two down to three up. But what a nail-biter. They still even came back from there against the Breeze O'Loughlin Gales did. And as you say, it finished up with a score like that. But I suppose, in, in, on the whole, uh, the fact that, that um, you know, Ballygunner were beaten by Thomas's, they were probably deserving winners. And winning six Galway championships, you, 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 you couldn't deny him the, the, the win on the day. Absolutely, it was just a fantastic advertisement for the game. Uh, great that it was televised the way that it was, and uh, I'd say the numbers were big on it. You know, for the viewerships. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the football. Then people give out about maybe the way football is played, but we got an absolute brilliant game of football. Some huge excitement, and a man I forgot to mention last week, Reggie, was Connor Glass. I mean, mm. he has to be right up there with the Brian Fentons now, and mm. and and uh, David Clifford. He had an absolutely exhibition. And you know, you know, I know the goalie probably will have nightmares over over it, but I mean, there was no way that that that, that Glenn could win unless they got a goal. And who stood up to get it only himself? Yeah. Uh, I raved about Bridgets and 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 Ben O'Carroll in particular. They got a great chance the first half to get another goal, and unfortunately, the one to one didn't come off. But over the two-year period, you know, Glenn certainly deserved to win in All-Ireland. And, and look, they were, we did tip them. That, you know, they were beaten. They were probably the second-best team on the day, but they stuck at it and, and came through. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, great advertisement for the game. And it just goes on from there now as we... Uh Come to county level. We'll start with the ladies, of course. Um, a number of games going on there. Galway, Mayo, Cork, Armagh. But I suppose the ones we can focus on, uh, Dublin taking on Meath. Yeah, and that's going to be a huge game um, for, for Dublin. I mean, they lost the first day out to Kerry and probably deservedly so. Uh, Mick Bohan won't be, be happy with the performance. Um, he's brought in um, Carla Rowe to start at full forward and he's brought Neve Heatherton out to the middle of the park, which would probably give it a bit more strength out there. But on the other side, Mead, we know they won two All-Irelands back-to-back. Um, they've had a new um, the new manager Shane McCormick is in um, they, they went away to Mayo the last day and you know they put up a score of 280 now I did a bit of research in this Reggie because everyone else was getting 1-5 and 1-6 with the bad conditions but the game was transferred from a grass pitch into the dome so it probably allowed for the big score but, uh, but Maeve Bourne got two goals and, and Emma Duggan got nine points so 
Dublin will be up against it now. It's a, it's a home game. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's in Park Talton at two o'clock on Sunday. So whatever support we can get from the girls and boys here to try and get down to that, you know, Dublin lose this game. Mick Bohan, he won't be too upset about it. I'd say Mick's focus will be to try and win two and a half, maybe three games in the National League. And uh, you know, find two or three players to add to the squad and then have a right cut at retaining their title. Absolutely. And then the other one that's uh, on, which could be a juicy pair as well, is Kerry uh, taking on Waterford. Yeah, and, and uh, the reason I want to stay with Kerry, we won't be able to cover them all, either football or hurling today, because it's the same, you know, with the men. Mm. But but basically, um, Kerry will look very, very strong. Declan Quill, the manager, will be very, very happy with it. Uh, they, you know, they were very, very comfortable. Their conditioning looked far superior to Dublin's uh, at the time. Now, Dublin were missing players, but they, they were missing Louise Omer Hertig, who, who, who's from Corcoguina in Kerry. She's probably, along with Hannah Tyrrell, is probably the best two inside forwards there is in the game so Kerry will be uh, you know they'll be fairly serious contenders when it comes to All-Ireland the other two games just covered them briefly uh, Reg Galway and Mayo both of them lost the last day so whichever one loses this game uh, will fall into a, you know, a fear of relegation Galway home advantage the game is in Duggan Park uh, at 3.15 this afternoon I expect Galway to come through that and in the other game funny enough it's the two teams that won the last day are playing Cork and Armagh Armagh beat Waterford and uh, Cork um, beat, beat Galway won six to five points I just expect Cork and that one will, will tip the scale so that's the kind of the ladies yeah, well, we'll move on to the men's then and uh, the National League, of course, starting as well. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome on the line now a man who I grew up uh, watching, playing for Galway alongside my uncle Peter Lee back in the day, Brian Talty. Brian, great to chat to you again. You're very welcome to the show. Good morning, Richie. How are you? Uh, never better, Brian. Never better. I'm uh, loving uh, the coverage and Sean in studio here with me now. And uh, the, the the National League back on. Uh, really looking forward to it. And the age-old battle is there again. Galway versus Mayo. And I suppose the question is, the song says, will Galway bait Mayo? Yeah, I always have a discussion with the Saw Doctors about that, you know, because uh, back in those days... Um, Probably always bit Mayo. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you know yourself uh, from your uncle Peter what the what the rivalry is like down there. So we don't like each other when it comes to football. That's for sure. And we've got a Mayo producer here in studio as well, putting her eyes up to heaven. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ignore that. Um, yeah, but it's, it should be a, a, a cracking match, though. And there's some uh, really juicy ones um, thrown up in the first uh, round of the National League. There is, uh, Brian, and, and good morning to you. Uh, just uh, yeah. on the Galway Mayo game, how, how do you see it going? I mean, how, how will you know? Will Parry Joyce? I saw the the Connacht final, league final against Ross Comedy put out a you know a second string team. But how will you approach this National League? Absolutely. I don't know how he's going to approach the National League, but I certainly know that when they're playing Mayo, he'd be certainly going out to try and win that game. Um, as I say, we we don't actually like each other when it comes to football. So, so, so Galway have put out a fairly strong team considering the the injuries that they have in that. But, uh, and Mayo picked a strong team as well. I you see know, that. So I see that. You can yeah. see that this is... Uh, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a huge challenge in Clare Stadium, and both teams want to win that. Now, when you come, Sean, back to the National League, uh, you know, last year, Galway and Mayo were in the final. Yes. And 
and their their form went downhill after that. So how they're going to approach the National League, I'm not sure. I'm sure they're going to try and you know time it an awful lot better so that when they come to Championship this year, uh, they're an awful lot fresher. But um, they will they will definitely go first uh, in this game in Pierce Stadium and. Uh, all teams will want to win that game. They will, and my, my, my reflection on it was that, that Mayo won the National League, but I think well, did Roscommon come out and beat him in the first round after that last year in Connacht? Yeah, absolutely, you know, and I think the managers will be looking at this now and seeing, uh, trying to keep the teams fresh, but still getting the momentum going in the league as well. So that's that's the job they have now this year. And Galway were the same, uh, to be honest with you, and they, they put a lot into the National League and lost a lot of fellas through injuries. So they'll be watching that as well. But as I say, Galway Mayo, they'll be going to win that game. And after that, we don't know how they're going to approach the league. Okay, big big game for for Dublin and Monaghan, uh, Crow Park this evening at at seven thirty. Uh, again, I mean Dublin All Ireland champions. Probably this time last year we'd have never expected it. Uh, you know who who do you think will come out on top there? And you know what kind of a way will Desi approach this game? Yeah, if you look at it over the years, Monaghan have been a, a real tough challenge for Dublin, and uh, I don't think Dublin have beaten them in the league since I think twenty seventeen, Sean. Yeah. So Monaghan would put Monaghan would come out and they put an awful lot into the league and they will have a right go at Dublin. Um, we don't know what team Dublin are going to put out, but we you would imagine that it'd be a mix of the old and the new. To be honest with you, hopefully they took a few fellas from the from the the O'Byrne Cup this year and and see. Normally we get one or two from that and uh, and add them onto the panel. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think his National League squad is picked and I, I do know from our own club in Ballantyre that three lads have, have, have made it. So there's obviously new blood gone in there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I suppose a big game yeah. then um, after that and you know, let's hope from a Dublin perspective we get a win. If Jane is jumping up and down here for Mayo and you're shouting for Galway, I'm entitled to shout for my own as well. But, but the big game, Jack O'Connor, um, you know, Mickey Hart, but it's not Kerry Tyrone, it's, it's Kerry Derry. That'll be a huge game. And I just look back at Kerry's record. They're not great at starting these National Leagues uh, Brian, how, how would you see this one go? This one is in Fitzgerald Stadium uh, No, it's actually in Tralee on, on, on tonight at 5.30 yeah. yeah, you know everybody is looking at Derry and saying Derry are the team that could come in here and break the Dublin um, Dublin Mayo or yeah, Dublin Kerry dominance so um, yeah. so we'll be interested in seeing how, how Mickey approaches this but the way Mickey Hart goes he takes every game seriously and you can see even in the McKenna Cup he went to win that so I think he'll be going out to try and win the league uh, and, and I think Kerry was missing a few players today so so with the Clifford brothers missing um, Tide Marley is missing Paul Ganey is missing uh, Jack Barry is away so uh, I think Derry could pick them down there and I think Mickey Hart will be going really hard to win that Game. Is there any talk, or do you know any of the the Glynn lads are, are any of them back on the Derry squad, or will they take a, a bit of time off, which you, you probably would expect them to do? Well, well I, I listen to Mickey. Mickey Hart is the kind of man who wants to get a full team out as quick as he can because every game is so serious for him. But uh, he did say after the McKenna Cup that he would rest the, the Glen players. But I wouldn't be surprised to see some of them there on the subs list and brought in if they had to, because he will really want to beat Kerry. The last one then, Tyrone and Roscommon. Uh, if briefly, um, you know, Davy Bourne doing an absolutely brilliant job with Roscommon. Tyrone, look, we know they won the All Ireland Cup. How, how would you see that one going? And Tyrone have home advantage in this? Tyrone have, but you'd be wondering, uh, Sean, what's happening up there when you see the likes of Nice Sudden 
Richie Donnelly gone, Matty, Matty Donnelly gone, uh, Ronan McNeil gone. You know, and you, you just wonder what's going on up there, to be honest with you. But, but having watched seriously during the week and watching the Canavan brothers playing, mm. what are two great additions to that Tyrone team. So we don't really know what they're going to have out. But um, it's coming going very well at the moment. And Davy Burke pushes again like Nicky Hart to win every game. So it'll be a tough game. I wouldn't be surprised if Russ Common came out winning by two or three points. Right, OK. Time for football now. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Cawley. Good morning, Alan. How are you? I'm good, Reggie. Yourself? I'm wonderful, uh, I have to say. Really, really good form. But um, my missus wasn't in as good form last night being a Liverpool supporter. She was very upset at the shock news of Jürgen. Um, bit of a strange one, I suppose. I was talking to Ken about it earlier on in the sense of the timing of the announcement. Uh, but uh, yeah, I suppose Liverpool f- fans reeling this morning. Yeah, I think we were all taken aback by it, Reggie, and uh, very shocked, as you say, the timing of it. And I suppose just the abrupt nature of, of coming out with a statement like that, saying that he's leaving when nobody was really expecting it. Um, so I, so I, I think that's where the shock was. In terms of why is he doing it, I suppose nobody knows only himself. He spoke about the fact that uh, he needs to be energised to do it and obviously it's, I'm sure it's a very draining job as any managerial job is. But if you're managing a team that's obviously challenging on all fronts and the expectation and the pressure, um, I'm sure it's even harder again, no matter how good the team is. He's been there, I think, eight years now. Maybe he's clever on his part, Reggie, to go out at the top. He's an absolute god. Um whatever he wins from here on in, can his stock grow any further? Because he's already, as I said, um, a legendary figure at that club. He's done an unbelievable job. He's got them back to the level that I suppose they were missing from for so long, back winning things, back competing, back being one of the big dogs in Europe. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just, I suppose, as you said, the strange timing of it and the sudden nature of it. But eight years is a long time in football management nowadays. Um it used to be 20, 25 years, I suppose, when you look at the greats with Ferguson and Wenger and you'd wonder why would you leave when you're at the top? But he has his own reasons, I'm sure. And he did look quite tired in the message or the video that he put out yesterday. Mm. So I'm sure it is a very draining job, Reggie. And you have to think of your health and your family and all that kind of thing as well, no matter how good things seem in Liverpool. So I'm sure he has his own reasons, but it certainly was a shock to everybody. Yeah, I, I genuinely don't think uh, people have any understanding of what it must be like to run an organisation like that. I, I, and my only experience of it would be looking at coaches in rugby who I've watched uh, and worked alongside over the years. Um, let's say in a Leinster job, for example, being the director of rugby or the head coach or whatever terminology you want to use about it, they are literally working 24-7. They've got... F- teams of physios to manage, medical staff, um, you know, players, uh, agents, you, other coaches. It's just never-ending. And uh, I don't know where they get the energy from it. So I, I kind of understand where uh, mm. he might come after eight years with that tiredness. People just see the great days and the, the results and the glamour of it. But uh, they probably don't understand the work that goes on in the background. Yeah, 100%. That's a great point, Reggie. And that's exactly it. People just don't see that. People see Saturday at 3 o'clock, him picking a team, then winning 3-0 and everything seems great. And then he goes off and has a great time for three or four days and then they get back training and then it's back into it again. But as you said, it's so all-consuming. Um, even from my own experience here, speaking to League of Ireland man- managers, yeah. it's just non-stop 24-7 because the difference from being a player is you're responsible now for a squad of 20-22. As you said, then you're dealing with your own staff 
and there could be eight to ten in that. Then you're dealing with board members and, and stuff like that in terms of signing players and not signing players and all the stuff that goes on. It's just non-stop, I'd say. Uh, and for him to give the energy that he gives, and that's one thing that he's built all his success on, both on and off the pitch with himself and with his players and his team, Reggie. If he's not all in, he probably feels as though he can't do the job to the best of his ability. And that's where he feels at the moment. And I think he said yesterday, he can't do the job on three wheels. He's all in or nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I say this with the greatest respect to every player, but being a player is easy. Being the coach yeah. is the toughest job in the world. Uh, okay. And they're selfish players as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, all the talk is going to be around a replacement now, but anyone, there'll be plenty of applicants for that job, Liverpool being the, the club that it is, but it is a hard act to follow, isn't it? Yeah, massively. It's like following Alex Ferguson, Brian Cody. You know, how do you follow these great people? Um, that's very, very difficult for everybody that steps up. But I think the big plus for a manager coming in, especially the way things are at Liverpool now, is the legacy that he's leaving is that they're a phenomenal team and he's built a team already this season. And you think of the young talent that's there coming through. So whatever manager comes in, and as you say, to be any amount of people will be in for that. And elite level people... Uh, so they'll have no problem getting a manager. It's just, I suppose, picking the right one. But for whoever that manager that walks into that club, he's walking into a club that's ready to be successful. And and that's not always the case when they take over football clubs. Absolutely. OK, talking of taking over football clubs and managerial positions, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a lot of talk during the week of Lee Carsley uh, being appointed as the new Irish manager. But uh, he has now ruled himself out that uh, of that position. Um, being the England under-21 manager, there was a lot of thought that he would be a good fit for some of the younger players that are coming into that Irish squad. Uh, we surprised he ruled himself out or... I was surprised he put himself in for it in the first place, Reggie. Okay. I've said all along that I didn't think he would take it just because of the position that he's in and the position that we're in in terms of the squads that the squad that he's managing at the moment compares to the squad he would be inheriting at international level here with Ireland. And that's no disrespect to our squad. It's just that it's a big, big job for whatever manager that takes it on where he's in a position at the moment, he's managing elite level players at England under 21 level and being successful. And that, that means the stock is very high that I would have thought maybe a club manager's job in England. He, I think he might have referenced during the week that potentially taking over from Southgate. I can't see that happening, but that did happen with Southgate that he stepped up from the 21s and it's been successful. So I was surprised initially that he was so kind of um, nailed on to take over. So then when he's done the U-turn, I, I'm not sure the reasons as to why that happened because if he did agree a deal or everything seemed set up and that he was in place to take over, whatever happened to turn his head, I'm not sure. But I was surprised that he was the one that, that was going to take it initially because I didn't think we'd get him. Mm, mm, fair enough. Well, he's not going to be the one now, so that's the, that's that. Uh, but it still doesn't solve the problem that the FAI have and the team, it's, uh, of course, has as well. But the usual names are being bandied around again. Neil Lennon probably uh, has been the most vocal in saying that he would be very interested in it. Roy Keane has now said he's interested again. Um, Chris Hewton is another name that's been mentioned around having lost his job. And, of course, um, Anthony Barry, Bayern Munich and Portugal assistant coach is another name that was thrown around. Out of all of that lot, do, do you see any likely candidates emerging? 
Well, I think Neil Lennon was close. I think he got down to the last two from what I hear. So if, if he's down to the last two and Carsey's not going to take it, you would think he'd be in pole position now maybe to take over. Um, and as you said, he's been fairly vocal about wanting the job. Um, he would love it. I know Keane has come out with those comments during the week. I'd have no issues with whoever that list you, you, you called out. But I think Lennon would be a good one. But as I say, Reggie, whoever takes over that job, there's a massive, massive job on their hands because of the squad that you're inheriting and, and where we're at at the moment, unfortunately. So uh, whoever does take it over, it's a big, big job. Out of all those names that I mentioned to you there, for me, uh, and I don't know much about it, but like Neil Lennon seems to be the candidate that I would put at the top of the list because mm. Roy Keane obviously would be everybody's favourite. Everybody would love to see that happening purely for what it would bring to the team and the excitement around it and the publicity and all of that kind of stuff. But Neil Lennon, but, but he hasn't really got a lot of coaching experience in recent times that Lennon might have the edge on. Lennon, for me, might be the best candidate out of, out of that list that I gave you. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that's why he got down to the last two, Reggie. Mm. I think the FEI were viewing it that way as well, and I'd have no issues with Lennon. I think Lennon, uh, obviously, was very, very successful at Celtic. as used to managerial experience in a club where there's a lot of pressure on you to win. People that say, oh, well, it's easy to win in Scotland. You still have to go and win. There's plenty of managers that fail in Celtic as well. Mm. Um, so I think, obviously, he he would be the one that you would be looking at now. And I think he brings that kind of feisty nature as well, a bit of fight back that, that maybe we've been missing in recent times as well. We've gone away from the things that we were good at. There's been so much focus on the football side and playing out from the back and changing a culture. But ultimately our strengths, Reggie, as you know, even in the rugby is our heart and our fight and our battling qualities and all. And you can't take away from them either. Mm. And I think he would bring that because you always see that bit of fight and the bit of fire in his belly. So I think he'd be a good one from a Roy Keane point of view. Of course, we'd all love to see it. It'd be box office and we all love Keane. And from a, from the FEI's point of view, in an organisation who's obviously uh, struggling financially, you'd have a sponsor in the morning, you'd have the Aviva sold out every single match. So if they're looking to just look at it that way, I think he'd be the one I'd be going for because, as I say, the revenue that'd be generated for Keane, no matter what, kind of is going on whether it's a match or whether it's not a match the interest would be absolutely massive and he'd have sponsors queuing up at the door tomorrow um, but I think from the football aspect Nate Lennon is probably the favourite now Okay, uh, just very quickly we don't have a lot of time Man City left it late last night against Spurs to get that 1-0 victory I know you'd be disappointed with that Ake getting it in the what 89th minute or something like that uh, draws yeah, all right across the board everywhere else but City march on yeah, we're over here at Reggie. We were at the match last night, so oh, we're brilliant. in London at the moment. Yeah, we were at the game, and um, City are awesome, Reggie. And yeah. when you see them in the flesh and see them live, and Spurs are good, but City are on a different level altogether, and they never really laid a glove on them. The second half was a bit more even, a bit more of a match, but the quality that City have, and it's only when you see it up close and personal, they're absolutely phenomenal, Reggie. Mm. Um, and he's done some job, Guardiola, and... I wouldn't put it past them to go and win everything now again this year they're just a serious serious outfit thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself Ken and Reggie have a good weekend <laughs>